you know, when you think about Jesus lowering himself like he did, that's really an amazing story. Think about what would what we would do if there were a terrible crisis among the insect ants. They were they were going to die out. They brought it on themselves. But it was a horrible situation. And the ant life was never going to reach its full potential. It was going to be exterminated. And you, sympathetic to the ant cause, decide to become an ant. And to subject yourself to the ant plan. And suffer and die as an ant. To bring anthood back <coughs> to what it could have and should have been. Would you ever care that much about an ant? Or the whole ant population? That you would be willing to lower yourself from man to ant. And to lower yourself from ant to ant cursed by this plague. And to die as an ant. To save the ants. Now that's a very inadequate illustration. It may, but it may help you think about it. Right. Comments or questions about that? <laughs> Chapter 54, the blessings that come from Jesus' sacrifice. Verses 1 through 10. Chapter 4, the Yeah. 
that he would see his offspring or his seed. And I think that's what you're seeing here now as a result of the serpent sacrifice. The, there's a population explosion among the people of God. There's perhaps an allusion here to Sarah and Hagar because Sarah was the wife, Hagar was the handmaid. And yet for a long time, which one of them had children? Hagar, not Sarah. But in the long run, who had a greater uh, population of descendants? Sarah. Yeah. So that's what happens here. That God blesses his people based on the sacrifice of Jesus with so many more offspring as people from all nations are brought to the Lord and are brought to be God's chosen people. This spiritual offspring will be a whole lot more numerous than, than their fleshly family as people are conquered by the gospel. It will get to the point where what will they have to do? Enlarge the tent. You know, because there's too many people need to accommodate this enormous increase in children. And uh, so, so, you know, stretch out the curtains more. Lengthen your cords. That is one blessing that comes from Jesus' sacrifice. So many more brought in to God's family. Comments or questions about that? Um, in verse 1 when it talks about uh, Israel being the barren woman what's the point of her being compared to the married woman is that Israel is not the married woman is there any significance in comparison there? Um, well I think just that you know the one who I 
Isaac, obviously. Either born naturally or the flesh would be issued. Yes. I think I think there is some correlation between the pair. Maybe I'm confused today when you're talking about the seven ones. But Paul and Paul and Paul says in the one who has a husband, so that might maybe kind of interpret it a little more. Yeah. I mean, you know, Hagar was the one married with children. Sarah was the barren one. That's basically what that's saying. And yet the barren one ends up with a larger family. Alright. Uh, and, and it's another blessing. You will not be put to shame in form, not feel humiliated, not be disgraced. You'll forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. So God's going to reverse the disgraces and the shame of the past. Now, when he speaks of the shame of her youth and the disgrace of her or the reproach of her widowhood. Explain that to me. What's the shame of her youth? What's the reproach of her widowhood? I think I know. Jim? I think this is kind of changing figures in verse 4. Think about the nation of Israel. What was the shame of their youth? Egypt. And what's the reproach of their widowhood? Babylon. I think so. I think God is going to bless them so much that they'll even remember those times of enslavement and oppression the uh, consequences of their sins, at least in the case of Babylon, kind of like us. I mean, look at all the bad things we've done, but, but those things are almost reversed. They're almost swallowed up and overshadowed by the great blessings God has given us through Christ. Do we don't even remember the shame and disgrace and humiliation of our past sins and of our past lives. God is the one who is our maker, our redeemer, the God of all the earth, and he has transformed everything. For a brief moment, I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In an outburst of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting loving kindness I will have compassion on you. The love and the kindness, the compassion lasts forever. The, the wrath, the punishment was for a brief moment. So, so God reverses the disgrace. God blesses them again. You know, through Christ, you've got the multiplication of the descendants, you have the reversals of, of their disgrace, their past humiliation. Comments and questions through eight? Shake. I'm ready. Sorry, uh, Paul Because that's their, in their youth, the shameful thing was the Egyptian oppression, and their widowhood would have been the time when God divorced them, so to speak, and, and they went into Babylonian captivity. It just seems like that's what fits the pattern of, of the nation, if we're interpreting that right as being the nation of nation disgrace. I wouldn't be dogmatic about that, but it seems reasonable to me. 
When you're divorced, does that make you a uh, <laughs> I haven't tried it. <laughs> you know, he's not necessarily keeping super consistent with the figures. That's what I would say about that. I mean, you know, obviously, there's a sense in which how can you ever think of Israel as being a widow? Normally, that would mean what? God did not, so... Verses 9 and 10. God swore to Noah that he wouldn't flood the earth again. How sure was that promise? Count on that. You can really count on God when he just says something. But God gives us super assurance by making an oath. You won't find God coming back on an oath. You know, that's just, just impossible to imagine. He says, So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you. The mountains may be removed, the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken. So God swears that his covenant to bless his people is more solemn than the mountains. It's more likely that the mountains will be shaken than that his covenant with his people will be shaken. That's his commitment to bless his people. So you've got really great results and great reassurance based upon the sacrifice. Comments and questions? Okay, 11 to 17. And so when God 
to the horrible situation that they're struggling through with full awareness of that, he says, Behold, I will set your stones in activity, and your foundations I will lay in sapphires. I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of crystal, and your entire wall of precious stones. God is going to beautify his people. This is not Israel getting rich and beautifying themselves. This is the Lord caring for his people. This is God beautifying his people. And this will occur because, verse 13, all your sons will be taught of the Lord. God is going to bring them to a knowledge of the truth. And this will cause them to be established in righteousness and, and far from oppression and terror. So God takes this afflicted, storm-tossed, not comforted people, beautifies them, and, and, and teaches them and makes them righteous. And it comes to the point where it doesn't make any difference who oppresses them or how. Because if you stop and look at it, God is in control of everything. This is such an amazing passage in verse 15. If any fiercely assails you, it will not be from me. Whoever assails you will fall because of you. Why? Behold, I myself have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and brings out a weapon for its work. Who made the guy who made the weapon? God did. I have created the destroyer to ruin. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. God controls the manufacturer, the weapon, and the user. Don't you ever think that any enemy will be able to do anything with any weapon God doesn't choose to let him do. He made the manufacturer. If God wants to, he can make the guy who made the weapon booby trap it to blow up in the hand of the enemy. Whatever he wants to do, he's in charge of the process. Every tongue that accuses you of judgment, you will condemn. God is going to make his people righteous. It's not that they won't be attacked, it's that no attack will be successful. It's that he'll be with them in all of it. It's that he is controlling everything that happens. If God allows you to go through persecution, he's with you in it, and it will only last as long and be as severe as he thinks is best in the situation. And he knows. So God, on the basis of the sacrifice of Christ, is going to bless his nation. He's going to make them beautiful and, and prosperous. He's going to teach them. And he's going to be with them and make them secure because he was the guy that made the guy that made the weapon that the enemy's using against you. Comments and questions?
comforting to know that, that, that God has put these things and is, is, in, is in such a control of our situation, our lives. It, it, it's very comforting. It really is. I mean, you see what God is in charge of and what he can do. We don't have anything to worry about. Just trust the Lord. Just serve him. He'll take care of it. Hey. I think the days after the servant primarily. I think he's talking about us and and uh, the the blessing of who we are and what we have in Christ. This passage in, in verse thirteen is cited by Jesus in John six. Other thoughts, questions, comments? John. Uh, verse 17 says, And your righteousness is from me. Yes. Would, would that be different from Israelite's righteousness, which came from maybe obeying the law and coming from themselves? I suspect so. They don't save themselves, they don't make themselves righteous, they, they don't deliver themselves. It's, it's God who delivers them, he's, he's the one who makes them righteous. Congregation verse 15, when he says, For the sinful are not of me, but the righteousness in verse 17 is of them. Contrast between Okay, good point. Yeah, good point. Uh, there are questions or comments? Okay. So you see the work of the servant, the sacrifice, you see the glorious results of that. Now I think very appropriate. The next chapter extends the invitation. We can we can join in those. We can share in those blessings. Chapter fifty-five.